Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Hi, and welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host, and the Small Groups Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. So if I were to ask you, what is your one of your top three challenges in your small groups ministry, I bet one of your answers would be related to getting new leaders or starting new groups. And I know this because we've actually asked this question at our small group network lobby conferences. We've asked it in surveys and on a Facebook group and in numerous conversations. And by the way, it's one of my top three issues. So I'm super excited that we get to talk about this and hopefully um, get some added uh, practical tips for me and for our church. So whether you're launching a new small groups ministry at your church or growing an existing one, it can only happen when you have new people stepping up to lead or host. And at every leader training, I tell, I tell our leaders that we literally cannot do the ministry without them. Unlike other ministries in the church that can be staff-led, small groups cannot function without lay volunteers taking on this critical role of leading or hosting a group. So on the program today, we're going to discuss various strategies and practical ideas for starting new groups, getting new leaders on board, and promoting groups. And so I hope it'll be valuable and give you some tips that you can try out in your church right away. So our guest today is Adam Workman, and Adam is the discipleship pastor at Sandals Church, which is a multi-site church in Riverside, California, a fast-growing church, and he's been serving there for three years. And prior to that, he was in groups ministry at a church in Maryland and Pennsylvania. He's kind of an East Coast guy, um, and he's been a groups pastor in that ministry role for 14 years. Um, and Adam also used to be the regional leader for East Coast when he was out there, and then now he's our Southern California and Hawaii regional leader, um, and he's still hoping that the network will send him out to Hawaii, but so far hasn't happened yet, right, Adam? That's right. <laughs> well, thank you, Adam, so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Carolyn. I'm excited to be here, and you're right, 14 years I've been in small group ministry, so I started when I was 15 years old. <laughs> Still in high school. No. Uh, it's great to be with you. I love groups and I love people who have given their lives to the cause of community. Oh, that's so great. Um, so, Adam, I don't know if you remember the first time we met. Um, and I didn't tell you I was going to share the story because you probably don't even remember. Okay, but we met like six or seven years ago. Um, and we were both on a panel with all these like name expert type people related to yeah. small groups ministry. Um, and this is one of the first time I'd ever been on video, ever been on a panel with these, you know, uh, people written books and all these big wigs. And I was super nervous. And I met you and I thought, you seem so calm and cool and collected. And I was wishing, I wish I was like this guy who looked like all <laughs> calm and cool and collected. Maybe it was East Coast vibe. I don't know. Um, and I was so, I was like super nervous. And as they were setting up um, the video stuff, the cameras and things, I'm a verbal processor, so I leaned over to Adam, who was sitting closest to me, and I said, I'm really nervous. And I confessed this to you, and you were like a virtual stranger we had just met that morning. And Adam said, me too. I haven't done this before. I'm so nervous. I'm sweating. And yeah. I was so relieved. Do you remember this? <laughs> I do remember. I was scared to death. <laughs> we were both scared to death, and it was so relieved. And it was in that moment of shared vulnerability that we became friends. That's awesome. And it's been so fun to see God grow you and just your ministry, your influence, and it's so fun to have you out on our coast now, the West yeah, Coast. Sure. Um, but anyway, I just, when I was 
getting ready for this. And, we've, and I haven't had you on Group Talk before. I was thinking, oh, this is why I love Adam, because we had this horrible moment together. <laughs> and we did okay. I don't think we were, we were horrible at it. Um, we didn't fall on our faces. But it just kind of captures, I share the story with our listeners, because it captures how genuine, authentic um, you are. And you are just real. And I just, it's no surprise to me that one of the taglines for your current church, Sandals, something about being real. What is it? Yeah, so our vision as a church is to be real, and it's to be real with ourselves, God, and others. And um, it's it's a, a vision that is is really lived out at Sandals. I love it. Which is why it makes sense that you're such a good fit there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it's not easy. I know being real is not easy. Um, so we're going to have a real conversation about yeah, the challenges great. of starting groups and getting new leaders and how to kind of make that launch well. So let's, let's kind of step back. So what are some strategies that you've used in the past to start groups or strategies that you've heard of? Yeah, so I feel like I've kind of gone um, across the spectrum of ways to get groups started. When I first started out in ministry, it was uh, at a little church in Pennsylvania, um, and and the system was was really centered around apprenticeship, and then multiplying groups. Right. So finding a um, you know an apprentice that you would invest in for a period of time, invite people into the group, and then from there the group would multiply. The birthing was the the conversation back then, and become you know two groups, and that was like the primary way we would do it. And then I moved to a different church, and um, and we kind of started um, like that host model where you would get people into a room um, and um, sit at tables, and they would self select right. a, a leader, and then the groups would kind of be started through that mechanism. I think that one's called sometimes called group link or quick start or something like that. Maybe it's not the host model. I can't remember what it was called. I I think it it might have been Saddleback that pioneered that. Um, And then another way we did was um, we instead of kind of getting people in a room and then surfacing a leader on the spot and getting groups started, we would prepare leaders in advance. And then we would do like a group launch event where we had lots of people just invited to come to try and find a group. Right. and it was a cool night. We had dinner, the whole deal, and then people would connect to groups that way, and those groups would start to where I am now, which is our primary way of starting groups at Sandals, is uh, you know in our in our campaigns where we do just a big churchwide campaign, a big push to get people um, primarily to start groups and to join groups. Um, we added a new little wrinkle to that this year with uh, with something called Try a Group. But the primary way there is what we tell people is grab a box grab some friends and start a group. And I talk a lot about these boxes we have, but it's kind of everything you need to get started um, with your group. And uh, people come up and they fill out a form and they get started with grabbing some friends. They start a group that way. So that's our primary way that we get groups started um, at Sandals now. So it's kind of, I feel like I've gone the spectrum of, of ways to do it. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your current way with the box. Um, I'm guessing that the box really lowers the threshold of nervousness for people because they have kind of a tangible resource, right? And does that kind of make more people step out and take the risk of leading? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I think there's a couple things to it. It's um, it's kind of a tangible expression of here's like the start of your group. Um, and I think the other piece of it is we're just saying grab some of your friends, people that you know. It could be four people, five. It doesn't matter how many people. Just grab some friends that you already have a relationship with and get started. And I think that kind of lowers the intimidation factor because it's people that I know. Where in times past, right. uh, 
I've done it where you're with strangers, and that's not a bad thing at all. Right. A little bit more intimidating to sit in a room of strangers than it is a room of your friends that you've invited to be a part of something that you've had influence in getting them there. Um, do, do you think uh, when they when you say invite your friends, is the expectation that they'll invite non-Christian friends or friends in the church or other Christian friends? Yeah, I think probably as I say that, the expectation typically is that they would be their Christian friends, but they don't have to be by any means. Yeah, because I wonder if it seems like one of the strengths of that model would be that you could potentially invite. Um, and I've heard Steve talk about this with Saddleback, that um, it's the newer Christians and the non-Christians that have um, friends that who aren't. And so you can actually have an evangelistic um, yeah. input. But you're right, though, the threshold, if you can just invite friends and say Christian friends, they wouldn't be as, yeah. as intimidating um, yeah. for sure. Um, so that's kind of an advantage of it. Um, what's So then... Um, I know you probably do for like six weeks. Is that your typical time frame, that initial commitment? That's right. It's about a six-week commitment. It goes along with the sermon series. Yeah, and so I I think this pretty much seems to be kind of common wisdom in small group world, that anything longer than eight is a little too big of a commitment. Yeah. Um, And six is better. Now, what do you think is the weakness of that, say, uh, um, contrasted with your former models in terms of kind of doing it this way? It's, It's kind of low control. Um, but it's more organic. But what do you think might be potentially the downside? Yeah, some of the downsides um, are um, it's it's probably a little bit more difficult. And I don't think any of these are obstacles that can't be overcome, right? I mean, we're choosing right. a problem we want to have. Sure. So then you just have to strategize and plan on how you're going to overcome them. So one thing is like it's probably more difficult to get buy-in um, to the system itself in a way. Mm. You know, when you take a lot of time to prepare someone – a leader right. before they get started, um, you know, you've, you, you got a chance to really meet with them and prepare them. And this is the way we do things. And it's, it's easier to get buy-in because you've got their captured attention before they even get started. We're here. Um, it's probably a little bit harder to do that. It's possible, but it's a challenge. Um, we found that just in general, just communicating with leaders has been, um, has been a challenge. This probably adds to that because there's not that upfront, you know, um, just kind of stating from the beginning, Hey, we need you to be in, in close contact with us. These are all the expectations we're going to have right. of you. those kinds of things. Um, if they decide not to engage in the training, because the way we do it is, um, it's kind of like that it's, it's a low, uh, commitment up front, but then the commitment increases over time. If they don't buy into that and, right. and jump into the training, they could miss some essential, um, things that are necessary to lead a group well, um, and the group could fizzle. Um, you know, um, you, you could always have the wrong person leading, although I've been in really tight <laughs> <big> control <laughs> things where we had the wrong people leading. Um, yeah, I think that one's and, across uh, the board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, and you do have to make sure you have kind of the, that, that your coaches, we call them area leaders are, um, you know, paying close attention to, to the new leaders for sure as they're being developed and that they jump through the hoops that you're putting in place over time. Um, so it just, it requires probably a little bit more handholding along the way than when you do a lot of the training up front. Yeah. And I love, I would just, I don't want us to miss this. I love what you said at the front of that, which is, um, basically there's no perfect system. So you're choosing the problem that, you're willing to have and then strategize around it. I, you know, yeah, I, that's sure. so critical. And that fits your context. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sandals is a church where there's a lot of people 
and we need to get people plugged in quickly. So if, if I went back to 14 years ago when we just did the apprentice multiplication model, there would be people waiting a long time to get into groups. And it just isn't a practical um, solution for us. So we've had to come out with, okay, how can we do this to where we connect people to groups quickly um, and still maintain a development of leaders along the way? You know, th those are all things that have to be considered um, not just we're going to connect people to groups and, and find quote unquote leaders. We have to develop them as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. The context space. So like my environment, um, we grow at maybe about 5% a year. So it's a, it's a much small, slower pace than, than what you have. And in our leadership context, uh, there's a high value in sustainability. Um, so they would rather see fewer groups started, our leadership. Um, would, we would rather see fewer groups started and not have to clean up messes. Um, part of that comes with our history in that we actually had a, um, a couple of rough, very rough spots um, mm -hmm. with senior leadership along the way. And so I think kind of what's how it's changed culture or shaped it um, is that we like to have more of, you know, kind of more vetting on the front end. Um, sure. to ensure that there's less mess on the back end. So I kind of have a hybrid system where we yeah. don't um, do a three-year apprentice or anything close to that, but we do um, screen people a little bit more in the front, and then we pick people up as they go along. And it, it actually works okay because we're only processing two to 300 people at a time, whereas you're processing thousands. And I think if you have that luxury and you're in a smaller environment um, and you don't have money to put a box together, <laughs> that could be yeah. another, another yeah. thing. Um, although now, you know, you know, we can stream video pretty cheaply, so there's just a lot of other tools now that doesn't require much funding. But um, but so I think just kind of examining, I guess, for our listeners to say, you know, would, would it be fair to say, Adam, kind of figure out what the priorities are, what pace you need to go at? Um, and part of it, for example, we know that there's systems that have kind of closed groups, and so you have to wait for the right time to, like, restart, so whether it's a semester system, whether it's, you know, yearly or whatever it is. And I totally understand why they have that, because you want to protect and grow the group and not constantly disrupt it with new people. Um, in our church, because we have new people coming in and out all the time, and um, that if we have to wait three months even to get in a group, we just would lose them. They would never try. So we always have an open door for groups. So that's right. just an example of, you know, how we so we're always starting groups throughout the year because we always have need throughout the year, but in much smaller quantities than like what you have to handle. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's got to be um, contextualized. I mean, we know we have to start groups, so then you've got to come up with a strategy on how are we going to do that. Um, that honors our senior leader, what they want to see, um, as well as what's going to, you know, work for your context in getting people connected. Yeah. And sure. so, so tell me about um, this thing that you just started tinkering with called Try a Group, because I think that's a great, yeah. um, great option. Yeah, this was really awesome. Um, we had so just I'm going to kind of give the punchline mm -hmm. in the beginning to set it up. Over 80 percent of the people that came to this had never been in a group before, wow. period. So, and, and like, you know, obviously we know that there's people who asking them to go from the auditorium, the worship center, mm -hmm. the weekend to someone's living room is just too big of a step. It's yes. asking too much. And there's yes. people that just aren't going to do that as much as we talk about it and say they should and show videos and all those things. So we felt like we need like a half step. We need a middle step where we can take out some of the fear factors involved in getting in a group and, and give them an opportunity to kind of taste what community could be like 
and is. I mean, they do get to experience community. Um, so what we did was we had a tri-group deal where it was like, hey, for six weeks, we're asking you to come to um, uh, your campus and we're here every weekend. You know, you, it, mm-hmm. you know, so fear factor there can be can be lessened. Um, and you're just going to connect with people. So there's child care. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Super helpful. A common place where they knew. And I always like, I try to think in terms of, especially when people are, um, maybe somewhat, you know, hesitant or reluctant to get into a group. I like to think in terms of on ramps and off ramps Mm -hmm. on ramp is clear. We say it, Hey, get into a group, all that stuff. And it's easy to get, you know, that message out there. But then I think we need to let people know, like, you're not signing up for the rest of your life. It's a six week (laughs) taste test. And if it doesn't work out, there's an off ramp and you can just kind of end gracefully. Um, there's not a, it's not a real big deal. There's not, you know, no one's going to come knocking on your door asking where you are. (laughs) It's a six week commitment. You have this on ramp and there's an off ramp out of it. And, um, you know, they, they followed along the campaign with the sermon series. We had people up front who kind of moderated or hosted maybe in the very beginning and, and kept things moving along. But um, it was a really, really uh, awesome experience. We had, you know, we did we did surveys at the end to find out how, what people thought about it and what we could improve. Mm-hmm. And that stuff got great feedback. That's where we learned, you know, over 80 percent had never been in a group before. Um, and it just was, was fantastic. We now, how many, how many of them stay? So, okay. So was the expectation that after that six week period that they would then become regular groups? Did you have that in the back of your mind or did you just release them? It's such a great, yes. So the, our thinking with that was obviously in our pastoral mindset and our heart <laughs> for groups, we want people to continue on, sure. but so we knew that. But honestly, our number one goal with this wasn't that. Our number one goal is that they would have a healthy, positive small group experience. Because okay. even if they decided not to continue on, we wanted them to leave with like a good taste in their mouth for sure. groups. Sure. Um, so that was the first goal, and we accomplished that. And obviously the next goal is we either want to help these people take a next step into an existing group mm-hmm. or have them start a group of their own or keep meeting as groups. And over 50% of the people continued on into um, into a community group. We started many groups out of that experience. Wow. And many of the people, some people came to it were like, and thought to themselves, um, I heard two or three stories of, wow, this is all this is. I, I think I could join a group in a house, you know, <laughs> and they did. They went and they signed up and got into a, into a group that met in, in a home. So it was a win for sure for us. That 50%, that's awesome. So these are groups that um, came kind of organically out of what you had in that triad group, or it used to be called yeah. Taste of Community, I think. I've heard some other churches call it that. But the idea is the same. It's a bite-sized, right. low-threshold, yeah. familiar environment, child care, um, sometimes with food. I, I think the similar I've had um, we've tried to experiment and it's with success as well around table groups because for the exact reason you you pointed out it's so intimidating and ever increasingly intimidating in our culture yeah. which is increasingly isolated to go into someone's living room like that is so much harder now than it used to be say 20 years ago yeah. and so providing a mid-size so we have like mid-size groups that might have some teaching or other pieces to it and then um, we would design facilitators at the tables with the expectation that uh, one, if they would, could just have a positive 
uh, experience that that's a win. But then the expectation was also set out, hey, if you like this, then you guys can stay together. We won't throw you yes. into strangers. You guys can stay together. And we tried to front load some of those facilitators to um, for future small group leaders and planters. Yeah. So kind of, yeah, but, you know, that's a lot of work to kind of do in that side. Yeah. But where we have actually um, people that are ready to take a group on afterwards, it's been really good or in your case to have it be organically where they would just take that next step so i think those half steps are going to become more important um for us to do yeah i think so i think it's um it's critical i mean unless unless you're connecting everyone <laughs> you know <laughs> you've got to figure it out but you know, you know even even during the process we you know we didn't upfront the first week say hey you guys we want you to continue on as a group it was just you know we want them to get this experience and then over time of those six weeks, we started to begin to talk about our hope and dream for you is that you will continue on in community. You know, this, the environment will change, but our hope is that your experience in relationships will stay, will, will, you know, stay the same this way and continue to grow. Um, because we're not going to continue to do it, you know, in the worship center indefinitely. Mm -hmm. We want you to take it off, off site. And we vocalized that and talked about that and, uh, and it worked well. Oh, that's great. That's a great idea to try out. Um, okay, so let's talk about how you identify and recruit new leaders. So obviously one way is that people self-identify and come pick up a box. Um, do you recruit them any other ways? Yeah, so that is our, that's our primary way. We talk to groups. We talk to our leaders about um, identifying um, and giving life to new community, that kind of thing. <laughs> I think we all do that with very limited results. <laughs> totally. So it's not a hard sell for us. Um, you know, it's something that we talk about, but that is our primary way um, of, of getting groups started. And, so, and it happens um, even when we're not doing a campaign, um, you know, we'll talk about it. And we have a form that people fill out that starts a process in motion that connects them into the system that we have in place. Um, and, you know, they get a box and they get started even when we don't do a campaign. But, no, that's our primary way. Of, uh, of of surfacing and finding leaders that way. And you said that you start with the low bar, right? Because they could just pick up a box and go. Um, then, yeah. what are some next steps that you you ask them to do? Do they have to be members, or do they need to uh, meet with their coach, or do you assign the coach from the beginning, or does that happen more organically? Speak to us about yeah, that. I will. So um, they fill out a form. That's what they have to do. They that, and then they need to grab a box and some friends and get started. Um, and what happens is as soon as they fill that form out, they immediately get an email from us with some important information that we want them to know. Um, within 24 to 48 hours, their, um, their area leader, who for us, that's a coach, mm -hmm. is contacted. And we ask them to reach out within 24 hours. Um, so this way now they're connected with a person. They have a resource and a person they're connected with pretty quickly. And then we send them um, – the information that they need to begin, we're getting ready to launch our online training. So, um, so this kind of begins to orient them to what it means to, to lead a group at Sandals. Um, and again, it's kind of like it's developing them in a process, not all on the front end. If, if we're doing it during a campaign, we invite them to a new host orientation where they come and they kind of get a sense of, of things to start with. Um, but when, but when we're not doing a campaign, um, they'll, they'll get invited to um, begin that online training piece. Um, and then they, they enter our, um, our yearly leadership development strategy. You know, so we've got a strategy for the year on how we're going to train and develop our leaders. 
Um, and, and then they begin that process. So it's kind of like, um, it's, it's a, it's a go and grow mm-hmm. philosophy versus a, a, a grow and then go philosophy. Okay. So, um, so we develop them along the way through various um, mechanisms and, and whatnot, but that's kind of the way it starts. And what kind of attention do you have? Like after, say you start a um, hundred groups with the boxes and yeah. you haven't necessarily vetted them because you may know some of them, obviously, because they go to your church and in yeah. smaller, your smaller campuses, they probably do know who they are. Um, and then how many of them continue on after the six weeks? We probably are average 50 to 60% um, of groups that get started continue on. That's pretty good. Once, once all is said and done, I mean, there's, there's some that never take off. There are some people right. that have tensions and want to do it and don't get started. Um, so we're right about there. So then if they continue on, do you at that point put new people in there or do you just let them keep uh, populating themselves? We let them decide. So when they fill out the form, one of the questions they answer is, do they want to fill the group themselves oh, okay. or the website? Yeah. And if they ask to be on the website, they go on the website in our group finder and they can be found. And if they want to, um, uh, continue to inviting people, we want to honor those relationships. Sure. You know, there's, there's the potential there that they have, you know, people in mind that they really want to invite and, and that kind of thing. And we want to honor that instead of just trying to fill the group ourselves. Um, but yeah. So when you do fill the group though, okay. So sometimes we get into this, um, this thing of becoming like a matchmaker, you know, yeah. eHarmony for groups. Yeah, um, and that's because we don't have them on our website um, because of privacy reasons and some other priorities that we have. But by having it on the website, though, the people self-select. So could I look at it and go, oh, I want to be with Adam and, um, and Melanie. So that looks, you know, and could you just yeah. like self-select that without the group um, saying yes yeah. or no? Like if you're I'm talking about like a group that's already yeah. been together. So then how do how do you put pe- new people in? Yeah. So if, um, if, if the person, if the leader has said, we want to be on the website, they're open to whoever potentially would want to be a part of their group. And they know that, um, and they go through our group finder, um, on the website, um, someone that's looking for a group mm-hmm. and filters on there and they can kind of filter down to what they're looking for in a group. And we have the system set up where, um, once someone identifies a group, they, they have interest in and they submit their information they immediately get an email. The leader immediately right. gets an email. They get a text, and the leader immediately gets a, a text. Um, so there's like that connection point. So you're made. watching the process the whole time. Yeah, and then we follow right, and then we follow up right. um, a week later or so to see if a connection was made. Um, but yeah, so technically, they and anyone could could um, connect with whatever group they wanted to that's on the website. Which I think the plus of that is the convenience and mm-hmm. um, the speed. With which yeah. you can connect people, and I, and then I'd say maybe the weakness could be um, that you know all of our each of our groups are so different that if they actually go process through us, we can say if someone says I really want a deep Bible study, well then we know group A is a good fit and group B is not. Um, so yeah. you kind of so I think um, by doing more of that kind of the matchmaking piece, I'm not advocating that everyone do this at all because it's yeah. it's it's a lot of um, yeah. handholding. Um, but for us, it's made this, um, the groups, the people are more likely to stick we found than when we just did it more randomly. Um, but again, it's just like you said earlier, it's really choosing which problems you're willing to have. Um, yeah, totally. And I, I used to do it that way. Um, 
at my last church, and now it just feels like the numbers are too large. Say, yeah, yeah. Each group individually that well, and then to try to connect individuals that way, it's a challenge. So typically, what we tell people is, um, you know, even when people are looking for a church, right? You, you probably don't want to just go one time unless something's really crazy. And you say, <laughs> this isn't for me. Um, you visit a couple times, and and hopefully that's what people in groups would do, but, but no pressure on, because you visited that group, that means you have to go back, you know, we'll help walk people obviously through potentials. And there's people that they do, they, they have to visit several groups before they find the right fit. Um, and that's okay. As long as they're willing to do it. Yeah. Okay. So, oh gosh, we have a few minutes left and I want us to hit this issue. Okay. So quickly, Adam, what's yes. your best tips for promoting groups to get people into groups? Yeah. Um, I, so I think there's a couple things here. Um, like for us, the huge thing has been the campaign. It's, it's the, the once a year, um, or sometimes twice a year, but typically the once a year giant push that really, um, communicates that we value groups, that we care about groups. Um, and to me, that's been just a, a very big factor. Um, and they can read Steve Gladen's book and find out very practical step-by-step ways to do the campaign yeah. well, what, yeah. where we'll yield a lot of groups. Yes. Yeah, that's been huge. And we're, um, I have the luxury that we're, we're kind of a simple church model in that, you know, the three things that we want people to do, and we say this over and over and over again, is the weekend groups and teams. And we have our own way of saying that, but mm-hmm. that's it. We want people to be show up on the weekend, serve on a team. And be in a group. So we that's in our language. We talk oh, about nice. that. We're getting ready to launch these workshops that are an hour along uh, on the weekend. There's three of them. You go through for an hour, learn about the DNA and vision of sandals. And at the end of each one, there's a next step. Um, one of the next steps is always get into a group. And whatever environment people are in at Sandals, you know, we've aligned things so that even if someone's in a short-term group or getting finance help or or whatever it is, we're always pointing them to the next step into mm-hmm. groups, into teams. So we're constantly talking about that. And I think that may be an overlooked piece mm-hmm. of promotion in groups um, is just normatizing, making it normal so that people realize, mm-hmm. oh, this is what we do here, you know? Um, yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, so in addition to, you know, getting platform time, if you can, with videos, with stories, yeah, sure. but just yeah. to look around the church, like you just mentioned, the finance thing, um, that I know some churches have great success and going into different women's ministries, the, you know, financial peace, divorce recovery, whatever it is, yeah. um, and just asking for a couple minutes to talk about getting into a group. Because um, if you don't have senior pastor buy-in necessarily at the level that yeah. you you have, Adam, um, then you may have to find other places um, in, within different ministries to be able to talk about it and to kind of keep promoting the idea of it. But really, um, and I've heard you say this in other environments too, just the power of the story, telling the stories, yeah. giving your senior pastor the stories. Yeah, yeah. Communicating that way is so big. Yeah. I Let pr- know what's happening. What matters to, to that senior leader and then connecting the dots for them to see how groups are playing a role in what matters to them, um, and, and getting their, you know, getting them to talk about it and see how important it is. Um, but yeah, for sure. So what you said right there. So uh, what matters to them? Let's break that down a little bit. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, um, what if you have a senior pastor that's not sold out on groups like a Rick Warren? Yes. So then what do you, what do you do? 
Well, confession time, right? Because um, my the vision of my church is to be real. <laughs> I, I didn't feel like I did this well at my last church. We ended up with, I don't know, before I left, over 70% of people in groups. That um, sounds pretty successful. <laughs> but, and, um, and, I, and I, you know, I don't want to dishonor our, um, the senior leader. He was great. I love him. He just wasn't a huge group proponent, wasn't in a group. Um, and I look back on that now and say, I should have done a more intentional, better job at trying to influence him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and things like, and so it's the first thing I would say is, cause we talk a lot about how do we get buy-in from a senior pastor, that kind of thing. I think the first thing to do, um, and I wish I would have done this cause I would, I would go back and do this is I would create, what is my definition of buy-in? Cause we hear mm-hmm. that a lot. What does that mean to me? Mm-hmm. And I would write down those things. Maybe it's that, that person be in a small group. Maybe it's that they talk about it from the platform. Maybe it's that, um, they're, they're, they're curious or interested in what the small group numbers are, mm-hmm. whatever those things are, however you define buy-in. And then I would create a plan and a strategy around each one of those things and how I'm going to just chip away at those things to make it happen. Um, um, you know, I, one of those things I did, I did end up getting him in a, in a small group. Um, but as I look back, I could have leveraged. So the weekend was really important to him. Mm-hmm. His teaching was really important and I should have connected the dots better than I did on the, on the impact and the role that groups have or could have on the weekend sermon. Okay. Right. Okay. So that, Oh, gosh, that's so important. I wish we had a whole 30 minutes just to talk about that whole buy-in thing. I love that idea to break it down. So let's give some quick examples. So if, if um, like a lot of senior pastors, the weekend and the sermon is the most important thing for them, their biggest contribution, what they're most passionate about, then the campaign strategy aligning curriculum is going yeah. to be a big win and a big way to move groups forward. If yeah. the pastor is big on missional stuff and serving um, and justice oriented in that, in social justice, kind of in that, then groups um, that have that senior type senior pastor with that kind of passion tend to have more missional type groups that are very service oriented. And those are the stories that those small group pastors are telling. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, what they could be other examples, but basically uh, yeah. you find yeah. their, their thing. Yep. Yep. And, and I definitely could have done a better job at that, you know? Um, but I think that's a, that's just a, a key piece. Find out what really matters and what you consider buy-in and just begin planning around that in a real intentional way. I wish I would have done that. Because that does uh, take time. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good takeaway. Um, all right, Adam, so final thoughts? Yeah, I think I would say, um, man, I, I like I, whenever I get together with small group leaders, small group point people with our huddles in the small group network, um, I say this, and I really mean this, um, that they're some of my favorite people. Like they're my favorite people. The investment that group leaders make, the investment that small group directors and pastors and champions at churches that coaches make, um, I value it so greatly because I, I do it and I know that it's not easy, but I know the implications and the eternal difference it makes mm-hmm. um, in people's lives. Um, so I like I just anytime I get a chance to, to speak, um, to people who love groups, I, I want to say thank you to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you to, to those of you who are listening. And I want to continue to encourage you to continue on in it, mm. even when it feels like um, you're not making a difference. Um, every deposit that you make in a person's life has eternal um, implications. 
every single deposit. And you may never get to see really all of them laid out before your eyes, but we know that it's true. Um, you know, I think about how Jesus, um, man, the night before he was taken away um, to to the tr- unfair trials and beaten and crucified and all of it, his prayer was that we would be one um, as as the Godhead is one, that, that we would live in community. So it mattered so much to the heart of Jesus that the night before he was crucified, he was praying for our oneness. Um, that tells each one of us that are involved in group ministry that we're doing the right thing and we're doing something that is close to the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage you to continue on um, and keep coming up with strategies, keep getting back in the lab and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you um, and contextualize ministry, but keep doing it because it matters and it makes an impact. Amen. Thanks so much, Adam, for that word of encouragement um, to keep not grow weary of well-doing, yeah. but yeah. to keep going because, yeah, absolutely matters. Um, so thanks so much, Adam. You can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Workman. And also, Adam's pretty active on our small group network Facebook page. Um, and in fact, when he told us about this box thing, I think you got flooded um, with uh, when yeah. you just happened to mention it in a comment about, yeah, we use these boxes. And then you offered to send those boxes as samples. And yeah. then you got flooded and you said, okay, my admin hates me. I can no longer send out any more boxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have one of those boxes too, which was so fun. <laughs> I shared it with my team and we took a couple different pieces. We don't have your budget, so we took a couple of pieces out of that book <laughs> and That's decided awesome. to try to do it. So thank you for how you resource small group pastors, um, especially in California and mm-hmm. Hawaii, but also just throughout the network. And um, we just appreciate yeah. that so much. So God bless you. God bless your ministry. Thanks so much, Carolyn. I want to thank you all for listening to Group Talk. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating on iTunes because it helps other small group ministry leaders find us. Um, God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.